Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is the awesome Peter Avis, General Manager of the stunning Galvin at Windows restaurant in London. Coming up on today's show... Peter proves there's no support like mum's support. I mean, mum, bless her, was like at a, a One Direction concert. She'd run the front of the stage go, my son, my son. Phil loses control over his voice. Having chat with the likes of your, you know, industry legends like yourself, Phil, I'm honest, and just staying engaged. <laughs> and Peter reveals that he has VIP relatives. And she said, oh my God, you know the Beatles. And I said, of course, Paul McCartney's my uncle. All that and so much more as Peter chats us through his story and journey to date. In addition, I'd like to say a massive thank you to Peter for talking as openly about his struggles as he does about his successes. As a result, it's a phenomenally human story from humble beginnings through to now leading one of London's highest profile restaurants. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the next episode, I keep saying edition but it's actually an episode isn't it of hospitality meets with me phil street today we're in high profile restaurants and we have a very prominent figure in that space and in fact the industry as a whole so i am delighted to welcome peter avis hello hi phil how are you i'm very well how are you doing i'm doing really well thank you excellent i um i was conscious of the fact when i was writing my little introductory bit that you know, you're you are working in a, a high profile restaurant. There's no no getting away from that. But yeah. but also you have over the, the course of your career done uh, an an awful lot for the industry, I think. So I I wanted to make sure that we got that in and I'm sure we'll talk about that as part of the journey anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So where in the world are you today? <laughs> I'm in my little room at the house uh, on, on a little laptop, which I'm really getting used to, actually. So, yeah, just at home, like most people at the moment, and trying to stay sane with two kids getting homeschooled and my mum sitting on the sofa. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> crazy times. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, for As a reference point, we're sitting here on the 5th of February, still in lockdown. The end... Is possibly in sight, but um, we don't get too excited about anything at the moment, do we? No, 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 no. Great. Well, let's just crack on and, and go right back to the beginning. How did you get into hospitality in the first place? Oh, God, that's a story, guys. Um, what happened, Phil, with me? <laughs> in a get comfy. Nutshell, yeah, no, I, um, like many people, I was, you know, a 17-year-old lad. I obviously come from Liverpool, never lost the accent. <laughs> um, so you know where I'm from and, and um, I was going up on a little estate and um, I didn't have any career plan I left school I was signing on the dole I was sitting on the corner on my little estate as most people were without any direction but I got the chance um, to go to Miami when I was 17 um, my sister or Zoe she got it scouted by a model agent and got the chance to do a three-week photo shoot in the states so she right. flew off from that little council estate and she used to ring the phone box every Tuesday night to update us on what was going on. And on the third week, the whole account of the states around this phone box, obviously, when she did. <laughs> honestly, it was like we were all on our bikes and I was the star of the show because I was taking the call. And anyway, then she yeah, said... Were you not- like, um, right, everybody, shh, 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 shh. 
Oh my god, it was yeah, massive. Yeah. Like honestly, people still talk like it was because the first I still remember the number 2072327. That was the number <laughs> of the public, and that was where everyone got the phone calls in our state, and that was quite normal. And you look back now and go, that was bizarre. Yeah. But uh, on one call, she rang and um, she said, you know, I'm not she was a young girl, she was 18, and she said, Look, I'm not coming back. She said, I've got a job, as many of you out there will know who does. She got a job oh, at yeah. Hooters. Yep, yep, there you go, Phil. And then she got a job at Hooters restaurant, which was a restaurant where the waitresses, you know, were, were good looking or whatever. Yeah. And then I got the chance to go out. She got me a plane ticket. So off I went when I was 17 at first time on an airplane, first time in an airport and whatever. And I got out to the States. And when I got out there, I said, there's no way I'm going back to Liverpool at this point. And I love Liverpool and everything. But at that time, there wasn't many opportunities. You know, now the hospitality sector in my city is one, you know, is one of the it's- it's boom and big yeah, time yeah. I, I really believe that's got a lot to do with the character of Liverpool and the people and the hospitality is just natural in us like we used to go into each other's houses and you know hospitality is a genuine thing in Liverpool yeah well I don't anyway, I know what so you mean I, got the I, um, the States I, and, uh, I used to watch bread so I know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> Oh, did you used to work for bread? Work for bread, as in no, bread? No, 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 as in what? Do you remember the, the TV show? Bread, of it, course it, I remember bread. Yeah, Toppy, yeah. yeah. What was the name, the girl? I oh, used to love her. Aveline. Aveline, yeah. yeah. I think I used to want to be Aveline. Yeah. <laughs> I used to love Aveline. And um, Mam, who was always, um, she is a tat. Yeah, yeah, and and then where that was filmed actually was a, a good mate of our family from uh, fr- uh, the streets in Toxteth. I know them quite well. Where they film bread, quite right. funny. Anyway, anyway, so, no, no, no. Bread's really a big important part of this. So anyway, I got the chance to go to Miami, as I say, and I went going back to Liverpool to cut a long story short. Got a job in construction as a roofer in the White Reebok Classics, which was an absolute disaster for yeah. many reasons. And then I ended up, or Zoe, my sister, a friend of hers owned a restaurant and he needed someone to wash the dishes. I remember I was always saying, well, look, you can start it, you know, tomorrow morning, but there at six in the morning. And like any young lad, I was like, I'm not washing dishes and had a bit of a chip on the shoulder. Right. But it was a big turning point. You know, I wouldn't be where I am today, Phil, if it wasn't for that dishwashing job. And I, I say that with passionately and honestly, because when I went into that re- kitchen, I remember about five minutes into it, this man came over and he said, are you Peter? I said, yeah. And I was like, how does he know my name? Because, you know, no one really used me. <laughs> and he said, yeah. can we have a chat? And I said, what? Have a chat? Yeah. And I, you know, in Liverpool, when you get asked for a chat like that, there's something wrong, you know. When I was younger, I was like, God, what have I done? And um, he gave me <laughs> my first ever cappuccino. Honestly, it was my first ever cappuccino, you know, and then posh coffees with the chocolate sprinkles and I got a cappuccino and he sat down with me and he just valued me Phil he just said you know Peter this is a really important job and you know all my guests see from these plates and we have to stack them correctly and I, I I'm sitting there and I remember my body language changing and I was sitting up straight and I was like oh my god this is really serious you know this man really believes in what I'm doing here yeah and honestly when I went back into the kitchen that day it was a big turning point in my life and I washed the dishes like the fairly liquid advert woman and I'd be washing <laughs> the dishes because I wanted the dishes to be the best they could be for this man you know yeah and that's how it all started that and <laughs> do I say the rest of it? you know that was my first ever and then from from dishwasher I went up to waiter and I brought my fresh chicken and beef out to this American couple and the, I said mom you having the chicken and she said oh my god where's that accent from and I said Liverpool and she said oh my god you know the Beatles and I said of course Paul McCartney's my uncle and, <laughs> and that was it and then I, I was like god this is a good game and 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 and, and I started you know 
to go. And then I, I worked for that company for three years in, in Miami and Fort Lauderdale. And then me and my sisters, our younger sister came to the States by then. And we went to Las Vegas. We were three kids with a dream. Got a job at the MGM. Worked at wow. the MGM. For yeah, that's, a, that's a tiny hotel, isn't it? I know that was a big, that was a crazy one. Um, and I look back, you know, Phil, and I think, what the hell were we doing? <laughs> Where did we get the, 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 the courage? You know, when you're younger, you just feel yeah, this. Yeah. I mean, I look, when I say that story where we just, we literally sold all our stuff in Florida and jumped on the plane to Vegas. And, you know, you look back and people, you know, what was just thinking? But we, we did it. We got the jobs and we carried on. And I was at waited in the MGM for the, just about a year. And then, unfortunately, our mum, she was still in Liverpool, obviously a single mother, and we got a call to say her sister had passed away. So three of us just jumped on a plane with the intention of going back to America. We said, look, we've got to get back to Liverpool, be with our mum, get her to the funeral, and then we'll jump on planes back because we were that naive. And right. that, you know, I don't know, we're just on this mission of, of life. And yeah. when we got back to Liverpool, obviously a reality kicked in, and um, three weeks later, I was back on signing on the door. Back really? And lost everything that was not everything with you know materialistic things, but that life we had for four years of living a dream to one day just be gone and back to the beginning. And, and for me personally, it was really hard because you know I was still dealing with my my, my you know my, my sexuality, and I still hadn't gone to America to find myself after four years. <laughs> Didn't do it. Right. So I was back in Liverpool, back on a quite a harsh environment, you know, where things like that were concerned at the time. We're going back twenty or twenty five years now, because mm. um, Liverpool's not like that now. And 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 I was you know not dealing with myself, and and then you either sink or swim, you know, and that resilience kicks in. So I got me dull money, bought a thirty quid off my mum. I started Zoe, the best place in London. She said Kensington is where, where it's at, with the words. So I did. I got the train to London with a little suitcase, got off the tube in High Street, Kensington, and saw the World Garden Hotel and went there and um, got a job as a waiter. I see, again, the, the bold move, right, of this is this is what I'm going to do. At least I suppose at this point it sounds like you you kind of knew that you, you liked this work. And this was this was going to take you somewhere. You didn't necessarily know where it was, but but there was definitely something in it. Um, I, I think it's all I had at that point, Phil. You know, right. I, I was I like many young people today. You know, hence why I do so much work with students, especially during lockdown. Um, I didn't have a bloody clue where I was going. I was told by my headmaster to go and get a job with the council in Swick Streets in Liverpool thinking it was being motivational and that has a big impact on a young person. Yeah. So when I got, when I got back to Liverpool, I didn't know what I wanted to do with it, with the hospitality. You know, when I was at the MGM, I was, I didn't necessarily be passionately enjoying it, but it was a job and, and I knew I could do it. And I could, I think the biggest lesson that I learned from hospitality where it's been different for me, I think, I think, in America, there's no class system. And in America, hospitality is seen as a great, you know, or you're not just a waiter, you know. I mean, I've worked with Danny Meyer in New York. And, you know, when you go into Danny Meyer's 11 Madison, they are career-driven professionals. And that is yeah. how they're seen by everyone. So when we were in the States, me and my sister's like, he wasn't that, oh, you're just a waiter. I remember in Las Vegas, actually, Frank Bruno fight. It was fighting Mike Tyson. And all the scousers came over. To, and some of them were staying. Well, and people we knew. No, some like scousers yeah. we knew from Liverpool were coming over to Vegas for the fight. And I was quite like, you know, I was really like proud that I was working as a waiter. Do you know mm. what I mean? So it, yeah, was, yeah. it was that. So when I was back in Liverpool and come to London, all I knew what to do was to be a waiter. And I got the job at the Royal Garden Hotel, which is quite funny because 
when I went for the job at the Royal Garden, it was back in 1996, and it was when the Euro um, 96 football tournament was on. Yeah. Big football. Yeah. I'm terrible at football, but they was then they were staying at this particular at the Royal Garden Hotel, and I remember in the interview they asked me if I could silver serve. And I said, of course I can silver serve. I've worked in Miami, so like I can do anything, right? Because I've worked in Miami. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so I was just like, of course I can silver serve. And I've never silver served in my life. And on one of my shifts, I was serving um, all of the FA officials were coming up to the buffet. And I was meant to be silver, <laughs> silver serving the melon. But I couldn't silver serve the melon. So I was just picking the melon up and putting it on the plate. And then I saw Mr. Bamford, who was an amazing general manager. Crikey, um, yeah. Well, he was there for a number of years, wasn't he? Oh, Mr. Bamford was the, the the saving grace of my career and i say that you know generally that he caught me um serving the melon and he called me over with his finger and i thought oh there we go i'm fired i said what is it mr bamford he said well you, what are you doing i said i'm serving the melon he said well you're meant to be silver serving your man and i said well i can't silver serve and he said well you bloody lied you said you could silver serve and i said no mr bamford i exaggerated i am a good waiter i just exaggerated my skills and I missed the Bamford saw potential in me. I was then I was 21, 22. Right. And as opposed to him firing me and calling me, you know, saying that you've lied, he put me on a training management course. And it's all because of Mr. Bamford I got. I remember he was walking through the kitchens and I had this ridiculous blue um, waistcoat on. And he walked through the kitchens with, I think it was the Israeli Prime Minister who was staying at the hotel. And they all came through with all the officials and security. And I was I always remember the film, I was polishing the glass. I looked at Mr. Bamford wearing a blue pinstripe suit, and that was my moment where I thought, "That's where you're going." Right? Yeah. That was it. That was but what moment. a what a moment though, right? For there just shows you what a difference the right kind of leadership can make to somebody's life. You know, oh, what sure. if he had said, "Right, you get out," you know, and that was it. That was the end yeah. of your time at at, at uh, the Royal Garden Hotel. We totally, yeah. we need to, all these people to see something in us that we don't necessarily see in ourselves, but also for them to kind of park their ego uh, as well and see that people, when you start a job, you don't know everything. But if you've got the right attitude and you want to learn, you'll get everything else. Well, I think it's a two-way relationship. And I think in this day and age, you know, we as managers, and I, I tell these stories now as antidotes, but, you know, these are my management Bible. And, you know, I, I you, you can say, I just trigger point. So the way Mr. Bamford reacted to my um, exaggeration, but the way Nick, Nick, Nick's Italian fishery, if he would have that day not took five minutes out of his schedule to come and have that genuine, genuine conversation with me, because it was a genuine conversation, mm. um, would I have continued to be so motivated to just washing dishes? So as a, as a leader now that's got, you know, many, many team members under me, you know, I value each and every single one of them. And I give them genuine time because... You know, it's not just about me presenting to the board or presenting to the, the group. It's about me appreciating the team. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The, uh, the power it has is unbelievable. It is. It really is. But, it really uh, is. And, and, and we are therapists and we are, you know, my, I, I don't take that for granted, you know. Um, and I'm responsible, as you say, for people's lives. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, you're, you're on the path at the Royal Garden. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, so then and interestingly when you talk about good leadership and, and the lessons you learned I think some of the lessons I learned the best lessons I learned actually or some of the best lessons I learned I should say was from how not to do it and, and under bad leadership because what happened is when I was at the Royal Garden 
um, I got offered, I was um, asked to open a small restaurant in Knightsbridge for two guys who had a lot of money and they were opening a small members club and restaurant. Excuse me, I have to have a protein shake. Not very good. <laughs> Trying to stay fit at the minute, Phil, you know. Well, um, you've got to keep, keep the mind and the body in, in tune, oh God. haven't you? Oh God, yeah, especially in this house. Anyway, honestly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so, so I got this job and, and, and it was absolutely shocking. I mean, the guys that owned it, they didn't know anyone's name. The staff food was the scraps. They weren't paying the wages on time. There was no culture. There was no brand. There was no, oh, it was terrible. And I stuck it out for a year and I was like, this is absolutely horrendous. And if, if I, have, I was an assistant, uh, assistant manager. And uh, I even remember thinking, you know, when I get where I want to, what I want to get in my career, that's, the staff food is so important. I remember thinking little things like that, you know. So I learned a lot from that. And then in 2001, I got a call from an agent to say that Richard Branson is built a new restaurant at the Roof Gardens and they're looking for a manager mm. to be part of the opening. And I knew the Roof Gardens from the World Garden because they were across the street. So a lot of people, used posh people would ring and ask, thinking we were the Roof Gardens. And I remember thinking, oh my God, that's that really posh place facing the World Garden. And I went in as a system manager. I, I got the job. Uh, I opened as part of the opening team of Babylon at Roof Gardens in 2001. Yeah. And, um, and at that point in my career, I was really like, uh, I got my two sisters within London by this time as well. So the two girls I was in America with, they've now moved to London with me. You know, we're, we're, again, we're on this little machine in London. And I was a great floor person by then. I was quite confident on the floor. So I felt a bit too confident sometimes. You know, I was yeah. um, getting into my stride on, on, you know, I had this little restaurant. So I was great on the floor and I'd, I'd mastered the floor about to work a floor, which, you know, it takes time to, to handle a 300 cups Saturday night and keep it a good service going. Yeah. And by this time, I've, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm quite confident with that. And then what happened was the then restaurant manager was saying, come on, Peter, you know, you need to do the average spend. You've got to understand your P&L. You know, you don't get involved in nothing in the office. You're just on the floor. And, and I bloody crapped myself, though, to be honest, because I'm now that, that young lad from school. I've failed all those exams and I've never done nothing academically. I've never been a, at school. I was a bit of a, what we know is a divvy. And I, was, <laughs> I can't do that. You know, that's beyond me. So what happened was I knew this um, quite well-known person and their partner at this time was opening a restaurant in Great Portland Street. And they'd mentioned that they needed someone like to go in as like an assistant maitre d'. And I contacted Kevin and I said, look, I'm looking for a new job, blah, blah, blah. And they said, yeah, well, we'll take you on. You know, you, you've got the job. So I resigned from Babylon. This was in about 2003. And I went into resignation and the, to the restaurant manager and then the HR director, who's an amazing woman, uh, Lynn Weimer, she'd been with Virgin for years. And um, she came down and she, she said to me, she said, I heard you, you've given your, your resignation. And I said, yeah. And I'd actually won Employee of the Year at Roof Garden TV before. So I was quite, you know, I was doing a good job. You know, yeah. They were quite happy with me. Yeah. And she said, why are you leaving? And I, and I said, oh, Lynn, I said, um, I've been offered more money. And she said, what have you been offered? And, and, and I added two and a half K onto what I was earning at Roof Gardens, which wasn't the truth. They were paying me the same. Right. And, and she said, all right, give me a couple of days. I'd like to catch up with you. And Lynn Weem was saying that to me at the time. It was a big thing because she was Branson's director of HR at the time, right? So I'm like, okay, this is, you know, she, 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 she wants to talk to me. 
And she came back and counter offered what I'd been offered. She said, okay, we're, we're happy to offer you this to stay. And I got emotional. I said, Lynn, I can't do it. And she said, yes, you can. And I even got goosebumps when I say this now, because she said, we need to identify what's wrong, Peter, because we need to help you. And I said, I'm not, you can't help me. And she said, of course we can help you. And long story short, they, I, I was identified as dyslexic. And right. I was numerically sick, couldn't get numbers, not because I'm a divvy, because like many people, I suffer from, from a condition. And she got me mentored with the FC, Tammy. He was amazing. She's one of my best friends, she still is Tammy Stitch. And she used to sit every Tuesday night from seven o'clock in the evening till nine o'clock on table 41, would have a drink, because I wouldn't be on shift. And she would talk me through PLs and she'd give me my first line, which was my pink line, to do with uniforms. And, you know, and, and I learned my, my, I learned my skill and, and they believed in me, Phil. And I went then that's when I started to soar because, uh, you know, I started to, you know, write budgets and P&Ls and manage the business from a financial standpoint, which you need to have, you know, if you want to get to general manager level, you've got to know, you've got to be a still, like, you can't just be great on the floor. Yeah. You've got to be as great in the office, right? To have a strategy and stuff. For sure. And, and I think being dyslexic actually has helped me with that because as a leader, I, I'm not, you know, I'll bring in the geeks and I'll do a lot stronger than me that I can manage, but I need that around me. I need the creatives. I need the, the fat, you know, the figure person. And as, as, a, as a management team, you can make magic happen then, you know? Yeah, but that, that's leadership right there, though, isn't it? I mean, you, you can't be the specialist in every single area of the business. And that's ultimately what, why you recruit a specialist to do that job, right? Of 100%. And even in my current position now, and it's, I love it. Um, I mean, I'm at Hilton with, you know, at the moment. And I, I ask for a mentor with the financial. I do it. I'm, I'm very open um, of what I want to develop. And I think that's, I think as a leader, if you have that mindset and you and you can stand back and watch the show happen without you is when you're proven good leadership. Yeah. And also that, that part of your story also once again identifies that somebody else saw something in you that you weren't, you, you didn't believe in. But also I think this is a, a kind of a, a, a thing associated with conditions, as, as you call it, things like dyslexia and other things that exist, is that everybody then tells you what you can't do. And so you end up believing it. Whereas in actual fact, if you once you break that cycle of focusing on what you can't do and actually then focusing on what you can do, um, it's a really, really it's a subtle change in your mind shift uh, mindset, but um, massive difference to how you move forward. Hundred percent. I think again, it come, you know, and I've had them situations over the years with team members where they don't believe, and 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 I think when as you experience these type of situations, you become more sensitive to them. So you look at your own team, you know, in my current management team and I, I can identify I try to identify where they need support or more importantly where do they excel and where do they what what can I drive their ignition you know because that's really important not is to focus on what people can do and and I think also we have to be careful you know what we're saying to our team members as well because we have big influence on what they believe in themselves so if you're telling someone that oh you know your your wine knowledge is just not there it's way below and it's never going to get you know it, it can make that person believe that and i think it's really important as leaders that we we see how do we develop i call it areas of development you know yeah just where can we develop and i think we need to identify that always in our businesses Absolutely. And I think that's mm-hmm. the difference between a, a leader and a, a manager, right? That a leader identifies, okay, well, that person doesn't have that skill. We need to identify whether we can give them that skill 
Whereas somebody who's not in that that mindset will just go, well, they can't do that, so we might as well not have them in the business. Yeah, and that's happened. That happened in, in you know, I have many experiences that were, and I used to be found it really interesting, and I'd sort of give because you're trying to teach younger managers. So I call, you know, my I've got a beautiful, really good friend called Nikki. Uh, Gladstone runs an amazing company called uh, Banana Pepper and she's like my mentor and she always taught me you know Peter you have to lift as you climb you always have to lift as you climb and, and it's so true and mm. I sort of give you see that in younger managers where they're saying oh well like that weight is no good he has to go and, and they won't think well would he be let's try him in the bar or how would he fit in reception and now you know, there's been so many success stories I've had over the years where I've just moved people it's like a football game or you know or the band and you're trying to get everyone in tune but you've got to move your players around into the right position to get the yeah. best results and 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 as a leader I, I always say that to, to my managers don't see it as a restaurant you're not just running a restaurant or a kitchen or a bar you're running a business we are a business and this business accumulates all of that. It could be HR, it could be finance, it could be PR marketing. You know, don't put blinkers on when we bring in someone in and they're not suited to that area. You know, I had my reception manager for 10 years, Megan is one of my best, she's one of my best friends. And when she started with Babylon um, as a casual waitress, she was absolutely, and she killed me because I always say, but she was terrible. She wasn't a great waitress. <laughs> she just didn't move well. And she didn't, she didn't, what I call, swan well. Um, and then one day I noticed her um, in reception typing something that she needed and she typed really fast. And long story short, you know, she was much better suited to reception. She became reception manager with amazing marketing skills that had a, a, a fantastic, still having a fantastic career. So, yeah. you know, it's it's knowing where to sit people as well, I think is really important. Um, so, yeah, anyway, uh, going off track as usual, I'm sorry, guys. That's all right. I, I, it's, I, it's a, a, a riding <laughs> thing on this show. Don't worry. <laughs> but actually, your, your story uh, there also highlights the, the point that you you made earlier as well that both parties need to come to the table this is not just about leadership saying okay let's get rid of them or not there's got to be something in the individual that that feels like they want to be there or something if they're just coming in and they've just got a terrible attitude all the time then it's probably not the right space i believe that filter and, and, and this is something i'm really passionate about and i say this um because i really mean that is is it's about recruitment as well though and i think in our industry we we panic recruit sometimes because we we need the staff or we in back in the normal landscape we were in uh, i do yeah. think sometimes people used to say come on peter you're you're being a bit too much now but you know for every single position that we recruit for we get an acidic recruitment process in place, not just for us as a business, but also for the, the, the person coming in. They want to see structure. They want to know the company they're going to work for. If you, we have, I, we as a team in whatever business I'm working in, I have a very high expectation of anyone coming into that team are coming in and I become responsible for them, right? So they're mm. becoming part of the team. To me, that is a really important statement. So if you're going to bring someone into our team, bar manager needs a bartender, as an example, Thomas, then we need to do this properly because we have a responsibility, A, to show the person coming in that we're the right company for them. And as importantly, we need to make sure that person coming in is the right person for us. And that all comes down to what your vision is a business. Who are you as a business? And that will tell you what type of person you're bringing in. And you just have to take time on that recruitment process. And no, we don't always go it right. And we, um, you know, we fail it sometimes. But if we've brought someone into the business, then we have a responsibility to do everything we possibly can to place them right within the business as well. Yeah, 
I completely agree. It's um, you're absolutely right as well. You can't you can't get it 100 percent right 100 percent of the time. But uh, yeah. Anyway, let's crack on. Cracking on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, where were we? So, yeah, so anyway, I got that um, mentoring program in place at Babylon, and that was in um, 2003, 2004. I was a system manager. And then in 2007, I took on the position of restaurant manager of Babylon. And again, that was a big pinnacle moment for me. I took on the position in 2007. And by this time, I've now got into my stride. I'm getting to understand the financial side. And I'm realizing how important it is to start thinking, what we were just saying about Megan, the reception manager, of really creating a dynamic team. And, and, and the, the most amazing thing I took away from my um, maybe 16, 17 years with Virgin was a thing where the brand really married the culture. And I right. say that because there's a lot of companies that have a brand of, and I'm not going to name one, but there's one company I'd work for whose brand was every single guest that comes into our hotel will be treated as a family member and will be at home. That was their brand. But the culture when you're inside the hotel was you had to call people senior management, Mr. or Mrs. You know, you had, it was a very formal environment yeah. in the culture disconnect. so for me it was a disconnect so the brand never married the culture so i could never be peter so i i was moved from the fine dining restaurant into the brasserie restaurant because my voice was too common <laughs> thank you and uh, you know and, and i went to the brasserie because it was more money so it didn't bother me but yeah, yeah. Um, so, but the, the brand has never married the culture in my subconscious but when I got to Virgin, the brand married the culture. Richard is just, you know, an amazing, amazing guy who I honored to say as a friend, but as a, as a boss, he really is brand married the culture. So one example of the brand married the culture and I become restaurant manager, I, a friend of mine got really ill, um, was diagnosed with HIV and, and I remember him telling me and I was like, oh my God, you know, what the hell can I do to support this? It's terrible. Mm. And I, I went to my then GM with this proposal to, 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 do a, to close the restaurant on a Sunday and do this lunch to raise money for the Elton John AIDS Foundation. And they were like, and I thought she was just going to laugh at me. She was like, come on, give me, let's get this detailed. And, and we went ahead with that wow. event. And that event raised over a million pounds over the 10 year period. So Virgin really allowed me to be me, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did. And we did a lot of mentoring. So I was able to work with the Clink charity. I'm, I'm still on one of their restaurant ambassadors. And I was bringing ex-offenders in to do work experience. Um, bringing my primary school from Liverpool on Virgin trains for free down once a year to do a lunch <laughs> and had all these amazing kids from my upbringing in Babylon um, and it but was just you know, the experiences are, are so vital though at that age right I mean to, to oh, give yes. these kids the opportunity to see something that they can't see normally I, I always I talk about this quite openly about the fact that I'm very very lucky with the, the parents that I had they the pair of them didn't have great upbringings and so they always said with me and my brother that they wanted to give us as many experiences as possible and it makes yes. such a difference into your your view of the world and actually what you can achieve yes, um so to, to to do something is it's pretty simple straightforward thing right to get uh, a classroom out out of its class for a day to see something a bit different you probably can't underestimate the power that that has 
Well, you know what, Phil, I'll be honest with you, the reason that, and generally the reason I started doing that, I remember when we were kids and uh, my mum's mate Margaret had a place in Brentwood in Essex and she brought like 50 kids from our estates down to Essex when we were like 10 mm. and it was a big moment, you know, and I think that I don't under, you know, I, I, there's a kid I was talking to from Liverpool yesterday. I, I think I'm very aware of the impact that can have. And uh, I think, it, you know, when I was at Babylon at that stage, to be able to do that and to, to get kids down and to engage with the then kids company in London. And I was a Virgin United Insider and I went to South Africa. You know, I, it was it, what that did. We, the, the thing with Babylon was it was a business. And, we, you know, I never, you know, I'm not I'm not sitting here saying that, oh, we do all the we were doing all these amazing things. But these are these things we were doing that were quite simple we're having a massive impact on the team's morale and we're having a massive impact on the soul of the business. So little things like one cocktail that the team created called the Red Edition, a pound from every cocktail was enough to, we, we donated a pound from every cocktail that would buy a pill for kids for HIV in, in South Africa. But this made the team engaged in something more than just being a waiter or just about, you know, just being yeah. in a job. They were doing mentoring with these young people. Elliot, one of my bartenders, took it to the next level and was doing cocktail masterclass courses with kids. And we were creating this, um, you know, revenues. When I opened Babylon, was 475k net year one. When we closed it uh, in 2018, Babylon was making close to 5 million net just in the restaurant. Wow. So yeah. the revenues and profitability of that business kept going. And it was really amazing. And, and a big part of that was the engagement piece. And, and that was, as I say, when I started as restaurant manager 2000, that was about 2007. We, we were then recognized as the best London restaurant, which for me was a big moment as well then, you know, because I'm like, you know, I've had that dream and I was at the World Garden that 10 years I'm going to be there. And, and within 10 years, I was a restaurant manager of, of what was known as the best restaurants in London. Uh, and I think for my family, for my mum, for my sisters, um, for us as a family unit, you know, we broke the mould a little bit. And, and, and my mum was really proud. I remember when, you know, I was presented with the award by Michael Caine at the Royal Albert Hall. And I was like, wow, you know, this is quite healing. This feels good that we're this this industry has allowed this to happen for me and my family you know yeah yeah so that was a real big moment and then and then I carried on Phil and then in 2009 I was nominated there we go I was nominated for UK restaurant manager of the year and I beat many you know I, I went through the stages and I'd offer Liverpool down to the finals. We got to the finals at the London. <laughs> and you should have seen it. Honest to God, I had two tables full from family that came down. And, you know, some of them had never been in an environment where it was like, you know, a big award. Even I hadn't been, you know, apart from winning Best London. So for us, it was a big, big thing just to be at the finals. And then I always remember the three of us with the three finalists were up on the stage. Stage and, and I was I was crowned UK restaurant manager of the year. I mean, mum, bless her, it was like at a, a One Direction concert. She'd run the front of the stage, go, my son, my son. Uh, I was like, oh my God. And then funny story of that was, um, so I'd won this UK restaurant manager and it was a massive, a massive accolade for anyone to receive, you know. Mm. But the funny story of it was me, mum says, oh, lad, I need a ciggy, I need a ciggy. I said, come on, love, let's go outside because mum, you know, she's very nervous at this point. And my MD says to me, um, I'll keep your phone on, you're going to get a phone call. I said, okay. So we're outside the landing and my phone rings and it was Richard Branson calling from Miami <laughs> with his family. I know, right? 
And he says, Peter, congratulations. Um, me and Joan would love to invite you to NECA as a congratulations for what's happened tonight. And I went, oh my God, I'm not going to NECA. And my mum goes, in a scout arc, she goes, oh, what the F's NECA? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I just thought it was classic response. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And, um, and, and yeah, and they invited me to their island um, as a congratulations. Fantastic. So big moment, big, big yeah. moment. Oh, well, I mean, and, and also kind of vindication for what you know you would have put blood sweat and tears into that i'm sure to get to that point um, of course of course um, but i think i say that because it shows you what you know um odd graph definitely but the, the rewards you can get from it you know for anyone in our industry i believe are, are, are limitless yeah i and i uh, i've been very quick to to kind of jump on this uh, the reputation that hospitality has as, as being a you know a hard work place in the sense that you know, if you want to get on in any career, you have to work hard. So, you know, hospitality should not be defined by that. No. And I don't think it is, you know, I think um, them days are really, well, as far as I'm concerned, them days of working people to the bone, they just can't happen anymore. You know, I think that it was normal yeah. for chefs to work 80 hours a week. And that was how it began. And that's how we're, that was the, the culture. You know, in 2021, young people won't accept that. And yeah. um, that doesn't get the, we all know that you don't get the best out of your team. So that means, you know, time management and work-life balance are, are top of my agenda with teams mm. because I want my managers especially, and then transcending down to my teams to, to be energized, to be motivated, to be, you know, you, you've got to retain people. You're not going to retain them by not looking after them. And I, yeah. I, I just think then they have to be, to be looked at, you know? But yeah, yeah, for sure. And but also, if you keep them fresh, then you know they give you your best work. Hundred percent. And I also think that even back in my roof garden days, I was very, very adaptable to people's career wants, and I think that's really important. That like you can't expect someone that's an aspiring doctor to work six double shifts a week and then study one day because they'll be absolutely shattered, not to give. Mm. And I think you have to, as a leader, you've got to really understand the dynamic of that person again on the recruitment side of it, and and encourage them to be honest about what works for them and how does that work for the business. To bring someone in and just say, you know, do 10 shifts a week, you see the room, the room go out and they're never going to give genuine service and they're never going to give passion. So I think as a manager, you've got to manage your top line revenue, but you've also got to really intelligently manage your realistically manage your bottom line as well. Yeah. And what is the cost to that? And and it has to be part of, of managers and um, preparation of budgets and stuff, you know. Yeah. And there's always going to be moments where where maybe there's a, a, a stretch on everyone. Uh, like maybe you take a, a an, an that extra event because it's going to bring X Y Z to to the business and but the difference is is that if you've got a, a culture of mutual respect then you probably get everybody just putting their hand up and going yeah I'll do that hundred percent and I think that you know that's very key and I think that in a business you know them moments will come and they definitely came at Galvin's when we reopened after the first lockdown in August because you know we went back with a a much smaller headcount. We didn't anticipate the amount of business that was going to come in. It was really important for me that that team were valued and they were energized and that they were part of this, this mission with us. Mm. And I think that these managers that just go in and say, okay, guys, just you know, get on with it. Like this is what you're going to do. You're never going to get the results. And you have to be really careful with that. And so so with us when we were going back, you know, we were having them conversations and and we were all in it together, and I was definitely in it with them. You know, yeah. you can't then be a manager sat in front of the laptop 
dictating you ever. You've got to be on that floor and you've got to be doing what needs to be done with your team to get it through. Yeah, absolutely. So you've just won Restaurant Manager of the Year and you're off to Necker Island to yeah. enjoy the fruits of your um, of your your labour. Do you know what happened? Yeah, yeah, I had an amazing time at Necker. Yeah, that's true. I did. I had an amazing time. And then um, when I got back to Babylon, after that, I started getting involved. I'd been doing a bit, but then I started, um, so around 2009-10, I, again, I'm quite stable in that position. I'm, I'm strong. I know I'm doing okay. I've now got a really strong team around me as well that needs to keep developing. Mm. So I started getting my deputy more involved in the actual day-to-day operation of Babylon. And then I was getting to go out to do projects for limited edition by Virgin. So I was getting to go to the you know, unique properties all over Splendid. the world. Splendid, yeah. Was amazing. I was in the Mazimara listening to Girls Aloud in the earphones one day. I was <laughs> in, <laughs> crazy. I was in, back to Necker, the Mosquito. I went to, you know, Uruzorba, Kakor, Tamadot. So I was in a position then, what I love that I was going in, you know, it's, again, you know, let's, it's this life from, you know, this scout's like that's done okay for himself, is now in the Mazimara in Kenya, teaching the local Mazes hospitality. I went out to, um, a, couple of, a couple of years later, I got to go to um, New Mexico. And this is fantastic, this one. So uh, <laughs> when I look back now, saying it. But I went to um, the Virgin Galactic Spaceport in New Mexico. Oh, wow. To, to, yeah, I, I, I went on a spaceship. I mean, I was in Spaceport America, and there's this lad, you know, talking to the astronaut consultant of how to create a hospitality experience that will go to space. And I remember just thinking, wow, this is amazing. You know, this is yeah. like, this is another level. Pinch so yourself. Doing, yeah, pinch yourself moments. And then, so that became a big part of my role then, Phil, from about 2010. I was doing a lot of um, development work, you know, going out to the properties, doing a lot of um, work within the group, a lot of charity engagement. So I was working with, with Richard on Virgin Unite. Um, engaging with lots of young people. I had a lot of mentoring going on at Youth Gardens back then as well. And then I took it up until 2000 and, God, no, it was, no, it was 2017. And um, as you'll know, the Roof Gardens was then getting closed down due to crazy um, rent increases and, yep. um, and, and other stuff. Very sad. And I, 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 it was really sad, but, you know, I could come away from it. I... For me, it's, that was my school, and 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 I could I did have an opportunity to to continue um, on a full time basis, probably within the group. But when it got to that closure time, and I'd had all this amazing experiences, but you know when you're in a how do I put it? Like I'm now forty. I was then forty two. And I'd, I'd had this great career experience, but there was still more in me that wanted to develop and wanted to, wanted to change. So yeah. I set up my own consultancy then and um, went, went out on my own just to try and get experience in different areas of hospitality, which I felt was really important for me at that point. You know? I, I, I can see that. I mean, you know, you, you'd done a number of years with them, right? And as you say, you'd, you'd kind of grown up with them, if you like, in terms of what they brought to you and the experience that they gave you. But that's one section of hospitality, right? And uh, there is a whole world out there of of stuff you can do. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, definitely. And, you know, I've built a, a fantastic network over the years in the industry. Um, and I, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I need to do something else. And so so I knew Wendy Bartlett from Bartlett Mitchell really well. And I knew Rob, Rob Haddon from, from Football Club really well. And I'm Virgin, you know, 
from a consultancy point of view. So I got to branch out and I found myself working in like certain clients about the Mitchells, you know, companies in the city, in office buildings and doing fine dining for lawyers or working in a staff canteen and training cafe managers, the principles of service. I was then from a football club and a you know, football's not my thing, but I was, you know, te- you know, teaching the food and beverage managers there about great service and the importance of briefings and communication. And then I was getting to engage, you know, um, down in the Caribbean on, on, on projects down there again. And it really gave me an opportunity to, to feel nervous again, Phil, if that makes sense, and feel, yeah. I really don't know this, you know. And um, keeps you humble. It keeps you very humble. And, and and I'll be honest, you know, I remember being on a tube one day and, you know, a lot happened in my personal life at the same time that really knocked me. And, and when I was doing the consultancy at the beginning, it was really great and it was really strong. But then, you know, the, some pillars in your life just got knocked from under me very fast, yeah. which happened with a lot of people. So, you know, and I've been very open about that from a mental health point of view. I remember from being on the tube one day going, you know, life's great and, I was in a relationship. I had a beautiful flat. I just had renovated, amazing family, very strong family unit. And then that was in the in the May. And then the next thing, my relationship ended unexpectedly, and you know that really broke me. Then my couple of months later, I lost my flat. Got condemned. You know, it had to be completely renovated again. So I lost my flat for three months. I, I was doing the consultancy, and then unfortunately, my younger sister um, took her own life. You know, in the middle oh, of all this, yeah. And I get a knock on the door from from the police, and after you know, sitting with my mum and my sister, and and for anyone that's gone through something like that, you know, the the big pillars to be knocked from under you within six months, you know, um, yeah. and the vulnerability of working for myself. It was a really hard time, and I, and I, and I say that openly because. We all go through it. We've all got to, you know, we all have to carry our costs at some times. And as much as this great career had happened and, you know, I've, I've had this amazing life journey with my sisters and we were clamish, best, their best of friends. And then, you know, to lose the love of your life, to lose your flat, and to lose your sister all in six months. Yeah. And then be vulnerable to that you're working for yourself and you haven't got that virgin security. I was used to having, you know, a salary coming in and, finances were okay to being completely exposed at my age you know and, I, and that's why I, I really appreciate what everyone's going through right now in this pandemic because you know there was a point for me where it was like what am I going to do like this is going back now to December last year and I, and God's on the street I was walking I was going to do a gig for Bartlett Mitchell and I was walking down to the train station and I was like oh my god I, I need I need a GM role I just I remember saying to her, Zoe, and she to one day, we were sat in there, I wouldn't say that we were in a normal high street cafe. And I said to her, even if I could just get a GM role here, Zoe, just to stabilise again. You know, when you just need that to stabilise and get back to what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was walking through the train one day, Phil, and I was praying to my little sister. I said, hi, please, babe, help me here. Um, I, I, need to, I need to find a stable job and get my head together because all of these big, things that happened I hadn't dealt with I was just going on this conveyor belt right to keep the family together to keep money coming in and um and then I got a text message honestly when I, I saw this little robin and it sounds crazy I was walking the train station prayed to my little sister and this little I said give me a sign that everything's going to be okay and I saw this little robin fill as I got by the train station right oh that's weird I got goosebumps you know so, oh, I like that. anyway as I'm on the platform to get the train I got a text message from Ian Howard. And this is the importance of networking relationships. So Ian Howard and I worked together for 10 years at Roof Gardens mm. and he got a job for the Galvan brothers. And yeah, he texted me and said, 
Chris Dalvin was looking for a new GM and uh, he'd love to talk to you if you're interested. And I was like, oh my God, what good time is this? It just felt right, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and then I met Chris and Jeff two days later on December the 6th last year, well, the 16th, December the 16th. And um, I was appointed general manager of Galvin at Windows and 10 degrees a year ago tomorrow, Phil, the 6th of February, I started. Crikey. <laughs> it hasn't even been a year so and I got what, and, the job and what an easy year it's been eh? Jeez. it has and, and, and I, I, I tell that story openly and honestly and anyone listening I say it because I know right now a lot of people and a lot of our colleagues are going through a really bloody hard time you know and yeah. I know that feeling of when you're on, on the brink and you feel you can't go on and are you going to get to the next day um, at times you know and I was definitely in that place at times and I'll just say keep going because you know, things do happen to at the right time. I really believe that. Bless you. I I really, really appreciate you being so open with with your story. I had no idea that. No, that, I, that I, I think it was important to share that, and I do think it's important to share it right now because you know we. I know people, and people have contacted me personally that are suffering, and you know I know what it's like to wake up at three in the morning and and have that feeling of dread in your stomach, and you know you've got to keep it together. So I think it's important to be honest, and especially in this format, I'm not going to, you know, um, I think, and then I, I listen to the lovely Kelly Rickson, who, who I love on a, a podcast. And I just think sometimes it's just telling your honest story is important. You know? Yeah. I, you, you never know who you touch, right. And uh, yeah. when you, when you're open with information and I, I think, everybody has to realize that life is not just one constant upward trajectory. Oh, no. There's always going to be, I think we kind of work towards this, keep moving forward, keep moving upwards, but there's always things that come and rock your world and they can be small or large, um, mm. you know, and there's, well, the world is dealing with something that unites us all, which is uh, what we're going through at the moment. But then within that, you've, you know, as you've, your story has poignantly highlighted, there's these, um, these moments, you know, when your family are really tested that, um, that really, kind of highlight the the sort of sensitivity and the fragility of it all it does and, and, and you know what what i can say and, and as i say it's a year a year tomorrow will be my year anniversary with Galvin the windows and you know it my nana my nana who, who raised us with my mum you know she i remember my nana saying son it too will pass it too will pass mm. and 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 we, I think we were saying before we went online, Phil, earlier, you know, about being, we're really valuing and appreciating what we do have now. And I think that landscape I went through before this, this last year, I appreciate my family, my kids, what I have so much more. And actually, I appreciate my job so much more. So I think when I was at Roof Gardens, I took a little bit of it for granted, probably, because right. it was so what it did. You know, when I was on a call with Chris Galvin the other day. And I, I'm, I'm like, a, like a little puppy just listening to his wisdom and his experience. And, and I'm, I'm like, I look in the mirror, honestly, some days I, I put my suit on and I, I couldn't, I can't explain how thankful I am, you know, that I've made, I've come back and I'm in this place now and I'm working for two of what I believe are, you know, the strongest brands in hospitality. And I, I thought, you know, maybe after Virgin, I'd had a, a, a run. And now I'm working for the Galvin Brothers and for the Hilton Hotel Group. 
I don't take that for granted. And I, 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 I realise the responsibility I hold with that as well to help others, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, and that's definitely come across in the few chats that we've had uh, since we talked about you coming on the show. You, know, I, you to me, are everything that is great about leadership because you're you're kind of you have to lead yourself as well right and that's in a time like this it's it's tough when everybody else around you is looking for that that leadership yeah. uh, as well but you know what what better way to kind of demonstrate to yourself how far you've come than than what you've had to go through to get to this point now and you know you've taken that education from the the virgin group and you're i would assume you're applying that along with your life experience into, you know, effectively being the, the daddy of Galvan at Windows. Yeah, yeah, I am. And I'm um, very back, I think, getting the position of Galvan in the Windows at Hilton. And, um, you know, that was fantastic. And um, I didn't expect what two weeks after being appointed to a Sami contract on the Monday, the 6th, and then by the 12th, this coronavirus conversation yeah. meetings were starting. And I was thinking, and again, I remember going into the meeting at the Hilton thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be in here two weeks. I'm going to be kicked right down Park Lane, right? Mm. But, but again, you have to stand forward and you have to either, you know, as a manager, there's times you've got to stand back and observe and then analyze. But there's times you've just got to jump to the front and go, hey guys, you know, this is what I bring. This is because I closed roof gardens down. So, you know, I was using that closed down experience to my benefit at Hilton because we, we knew the closure of the hotel was potentially coming at that point. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think the other thing I've, re- I've, I've learned has been the best thing for me is um, I've joined the supervisory board of the Institute of Hospitality um, yes. under, under Kelly Rickson. So, you know, I, I, I think before what I was burning out, I, I think what I've, the big lesson I've learned, and I think it's something people need to take away as well, is that. You can do a lot. You can do a lot more with less. So before, I think I was trying to do too much. Where now, by sitting on the board of the IOH and focusing on areas that I'm passionate about, I think I can do a lot more than trying to do loads of other things at the same time as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it has to be said, you um, you followed a well, you you followed a hard act to follow with Mister Mister Freddie in there before you. So I, I take my hat off to you because you've, it feels already that you've made that your own. Yeah. You know what? If I'm honest with you, I, I, I look back and I was saying this to Walzo with you the day. Because me and my sister, when I've been appointed, when I got offered, went for dinner at Windows. And um, it's a bit like when I was saying earlier, when we got on that plane to Vegas and we were thinking, what the hell, are we, we just did it. Yeah. And I think when I think when, it, when when I got the text saying Chris Galvin wants to talk to you, you know, Chris Galvin's an industry god. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, cool. That's fantastic. You know, the time is amazing. And then, you know, to go in and, 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 and to go in, you know, behind Fred was massive of course it's massive from a front of house perspective but but you know um i think i've gone in uh, at my level of of life experience just to create what i want to do and that yep. was why i was brought in and i think um looking back it's bloody daunting to think where did you get the you know, <laughs> to do that thing? <laughs> and i remember it being announced i was getting all these messages and then i was like okay i'm, I'm in i'm in deep here but um no i've still got a, i've still got a lot to develop and learn but i'm absolutely honored to have you know fred's an industry legend who does so much for the industry and i think our careers you know we've always known each other um throughout the years and we've done things together in the past so you know yeah. to take on his legacy and and to and to respect his legacy there is really important for me as well but yeah but, yeah, but then put your own stamp on it as well right and um oh, yeah and i think the uh the, there's a, 
that's a massive part of of culture there is a, a theory out there that um you know a, a brand can obviously have its its culture values and and all of that sort of thing but actually when you take one critical cog out of that machine the culture changes whether you yeah. like it or not because there's mm-hmm. a, a a different human being uh, leading who brings their own values and strengths uh, into the into the organization but i, I it feels like i mean it's, it's you know, going to be all different, yeah. I mean, it's definitely, and I think the biggest lesson I've learned many years ago, Phil, is is I always tried to be someone else when I was younger. I'm honest, I did. I was always trying to. I don't know. I was never being true to who I am. Yeah. And then I remember this woman saying it to me. She said, "You know, um, when you're yourself, is when you excel." And 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 in 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 Windows, that's exactly what it is. At Babylon, that's what it was. Whatever that go is that you know. I'm a parent to me, a guardian to my sister's two kids here. And, you know, I genuinely raise them in what I believe is the right way. And I do that with my teams, you know? Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So what does the the next year hold? Which is, a, I suppose, with a big question mark on the, uh, the outside of it. We need uh, businesses to get open yet, I suppose. But um, all going well, what's, what's the plan? Yeah, I, you know, I think the planning is now. I think um, what I've found is we are in lockdown number three. And I think, as again, as a manager, you have to learn what lessons have you learned from my period. So I think for me, what I'm doing is really trying to stay as engaged as possible. Having chats with the likes of your, you know, industry legends like yourself, Phil, who are just staying engaged. No, it's true. That's the funniest have... thing you've said all day. No, no, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Just staying in touch with those people that are passionate and have got experience in the industry. I think for, for Galvin at Windows it's, and, and for the Galvin group, you know, Galvin at home, which Chris and Jeff have been doing, is going from strength to strength. And I think that, you know, um, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade and they're, they're sore and, you know, the Valentine's Day is looking fantastic so staying engaged as much as i can and then being realistic we're gonna i think one thing for me is going to be getting doing more with less from a headcount point of view and i think the indicators of when we opened in august is people want to get back out they want to spend money so my job now is retaining the team staying in contact with them i met with my restaurant manager yesterday um with, with distance of course just to have a, a distance walking green park looking at new ideas for opening messages menu style is going to be different to think wine quantities on wine list that will is something that will be looked at more i think it's sort of simplifying but adding to the the experience as best as we can yeah um and and that will be the the principles of what we do when we go back but at this landscape, it's it's really, really about, for me, is protecting my team's mental health and just being there for them. And do we, we do like um, cocktails on Zoom. We do bingo. We're doing quizzes. I'm doing, uh, I'm still doing my one-to-ones over Zoom with the managers, just talking to them and staying engaged with them as best they can as well. Yeah. Um, but I think the industry definitely, it's coming back. Um, it's going to be less, but with as much more detail and guest experience at the heart. Yeah, I I really felt in that little period where we were open back in the summer that uh, there was there was already a shift had happened in terms of uh, the ex- the the service experience I I had in that time I thought was much much better than it than it had been generally across the board and I just wonder if this gives this gives teams a time to relax a little bit just kind of regroup and uh, and really focus on the things that are are very very important in delivering the best possible experience but i say that with 
the kind of the, the the premise that it's not just about the guest experience it's about it's about the team experience as well. Of course, yeah, it is. I think for me, um, what I've been able to do, and the opportunity, you know, we, we always have to look at what are the opportunities. And I think that again comes from my upbringing. I mean, once they say, what can you do about that lag? Or, or what are you going to do about it? You know? And I think one thing we were able to do, so there's two elements for all businesses. There's, you know, there's no batting around it. So businesses have less money than what they had before. Mm. And there's also a, a new service where, where guests don't want too many layers of ramen, i.e. too many waiters, too many sommeliers. So at, at Windows, we were able to really look at that service style during the first lockdown and really create new solid SOPs where you would only really have one waiter looking after the whole service as opposed to a commie, a chef de vine, a waiter, a head waiter, a floor manager, a sommelier, whatever, yeah. and, and trying to slimline that down. And by slimlining that down, because, you know, like many businesses, we, we unfortunately, you know, have to go through certain processes and reduce headcount in some areas. Mm. Um, but by multi-skilling the team, so doing lots of cross-training, the receptionist was maybe maybe able to carry the drinks on a tray from the bar to the to the restaurant more confidently, and the waiter was empowered to 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 manage the whole service, you know, with the right support from management. And I think that had a big effect a on the the cost because it's less it's it's less staff to do that. It's a more modern service approach because guests want to, I believe, want to engage more on the human level. So by having one person to get to know and rapport with during the meal. Is better than having three different people having yeah. to look forward, and and I think that also falls into you know the modern service approach. But that also comes with a lot more detailed training, a lot more communication, um, and and again, as I said earlier, moving people around a little bit to see where they're best suited in that service style. Yeah. But I think looking after the team on a genuine level, I say to any manager that's listening to this today, uh, I'm sure they are, but if they're not, you know, pick up the phone. Put it, you know, I've got a diary where I call two team members every day just to check in on them. How are you doing? I think that's the value piece that we can all do right now. Yeah, absolutely. Man, I want to come and work in your restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> you should see me on a Saturday night, Phil. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe not then. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I know, but I think uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just like, man, just trying to stay positive through this time, you know? Yeah. No, totally. I, I, and I think, you know, what, what are the choices there, right? You, you've got, you've got to keep positive and easier said than done under circumstances, but it's, um, you know, the, the, the alternative choice is not even worth thinking about. Um, no, it is one thing you can control. So yeah, this has been, it's been deep, hasn't it? At times. Yeah, it has. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I'd like that though. I like, we had a, a, a little bit of, a little bit of humor and a little bit of seriousness and a little bit of deepness that's kind of that's that sums me up <laughs> a little bit of hospitality right there <laughs> absolutely um yeah well I, this is actually a question that i th think is more polarized because of the time that we're in from the outside looking in people would be looking at hospitality as a career at the moment and probably thinking well look at it it's all shut doesn't exactly give me many prospects for the for the future but obviously this is a very specialist set, set of circumstances we find ourselves in why should somebody come into hospitality as a career? I think everyone can see the situation we're in right now, but I think you can clearly see it. it, it it's, it's a, a temporary period that hospitality is coming back. And I think any young person or any person, not just young person, older person, any person that is considered in hospitality need to know that the, the, the variation of, of experiences and sectors you can go into within hospitality 
and not just rewarding on a on a, a career level, but you know you can you can create a very solid career plan that can take you to a very successful career. Anyone, you know, what's happened with me and, and many other people is all we've done is stay focused, worked hard, and a lot of people don't have academic experience like themselves, you know. With hospitality, it's all about your people experience as well. Yet you need to train, you need to educate, but the opportunities are endless and, and they're international, you know? Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. Well, I mean, look, you got a, a very early start in um, in the travel element. Uh, and I just yeah. think the, tr- the travel piece brings so much to your life uh, beyond your career. I just think in terms of your ethos and your ethics and and your your outlook on life, travel is mm. just the number one best thing i think i think there's still a long way you know i think we've made a lot of movement but i think for me personally and again coming back into it you know back into the industry not that i was ever out of the industry but for me when i was doing the consultancy i wasn't involved as much as i was when i was at roof gardens with the wider industry so Mm. coming back in full time as a gm and getting onto the board of the ioh um, and really helping to shape what does that future of that of that um, body look like and working there with robert richardson and kelly rickson and these real changes genuine changes actually and i think our industry went through a time of repetitiveness and a little bit of that um if i'm being really honest it was a little bit that um as we said that respectfully boy old school boys club that was quite close right. and i think yeah. now what it takes is having people on the board who you know at seeing a woman chairman or, as an example of the ioh and diversity is so important like you know i was a young gay guy in hospitality and it's it's such a great environment to be because it, it is it is diverse and i think what we have to do now in the next in the next landscape because it isn't just COVID 19 there's also brexit and you yep. know, I know that in my team, 90% are probably Italian, Spanish. Um, I think we've got two British people, three, including me, maybe in the front of us currently, you know, we're in the, the general team sector. And I think that um, we, that's why I'm so excited about this IRH supervisory board position, because we do need to change perception, Phil. And we, before it was always, oh, we need to change perception, but look, I am a British lad that has been yeah, hugely successful in hospitality because of my personality, because of where I'm from, because of my people still, and because I've had the right trainers and mentors. So I think our responsibility as we come out of this is going to be tenfold on that. So I'm talking, to, I was talking to Thameside hospitality students uh, two days ago. I'm talking to Nottingham College next week, you know, and, and really getting that message across that, look kids, look what's happened to me can happen to you. Let's get get work experience let's get let's get these kids into the industry and, and change perception even more here here and i am a hundred percent on board <laughs> yeah. with that it has to happen it has yeah. to happen now more than ever and i think we need more you know and this isn't about being british centric but and i never used to have the voice to say that before but now i am saying you know we do need to be british about this and we do need to show british kids that there's a career to be had in this industry because we've yeah. got a massive pipeline that needs for them Absolutely. We've got to work with the rules that we've been given, basically, um, exactly. rather than continually trying to work against them. Uh, yeah. That will get us nowhere. So uh, the, it's actually one of the fundamental reasons why I started the podcast in the first place was to just raise the bar on the uh, the information that gets out there and what this industry is all about. Because for me, what I've I've seen in my time in the industry from a teenage boy to now is that it's just full of fun and learning and 
it really can take you in any direction you want. It's um, it's phenomenal. It is, and I think also, you know, what because I've got I'm guardian now to two kids, you know, me and my sister raised the two kids, and they're in really, really good schools, and I'm really so proud of the education they're getting, right? And they, they, you know, they're both in, um, you know, good, good secondary schools, yeah. even though they're going through homeschooling right now. But our little girl, Tallulah, who's around somewhere, she's clearly got a passion for cooking and she's clear and, and she loves it. And she puts like a video and pretends to be a chef and she pretends to be a waiter and she serves dinner like a waitress. And, and I'm her parent and I'm looking at her and I'm like, you know, I know the opportunity she could have in hospitality. And, and, and I, I just, and she's not, she's not in, you know, set one of her school by any means. So the academia is quite middle ground. So I can actually see her having a really huge career in hospitality. Mm. And, and when all of her friends are talking about university and going to be a doctor and all this type of stuff, and I'm looking at all booth thinking, babe, you're going to be a kick-ass pastry chef one day. And I know, <laughs> and I'm, you know, and I mean, I, she made a chocolate fudge cake the other night and it was, it was top, she's 11. So I, I just, I, I long for the day that parents in the UK look at the likes of what's happened in my career and can say, you know what, my kid is dyslexic, maybe he or she's not going to go to uni, but can still be beauty successful. And, you know, I've made my mum really proud. I know I have, and she couldn't be prouder of me. And I just hope other parents can see that in their kids uh, as we move forward in the, in the UK, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Superb. Well, if people want to get a hold of you to, to chew the fat and learn more about you or your business, what, what would be the best method for them to do that? Um, they can, I don't know, email me. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever works for you. Yeah, I um, I'll happily put your um, your contact info in the show notes if you'll allow me. Yeah, if you uh, put my Hilton email, it would be better to put on there. I'm throwing in my work email. Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, I'm more than happy. But if anyone wants to chat or uh, uh, anything, you know, to do with what we're chatting about, I'm more than happy to to pick up a call anytime. Wicked. No, look, you're an absolute legend. I think your story is amazing. And um, I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, and sharing your story with us today. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, it's been a real joy to, to sit and chat with you, Phil. Thank you. Fantastic. You're very welcome. I shall see you soon. Take care. You Bye too. Now. Cheers now. Bye-bye. 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 And there we have it. What a wonderful story so far from Peter, who clearly places massive value in leading with care and kindness. We wish him and his team all the very best on reopening later this year. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.